Hello and welcome to the Poetry Exchange. I'm Michael Schaefer. And I'm Fiona Bennett. Fiona Bennett, I know that you're recovering from the COVID. How are you feeling? I'm just a little bit hot, Michael. And I know there's been a lot of discussion of people being a little bit hot lately. So I've had sort of double hot. Um, But yeah, I am heading in the right direction, as they say. You're on the mend. Yeah. So, all will be well. Well, well done for making it here. Thank you. How are you? I'm all right. I'm just hot from the heat wave that we've been experiencing. Mm. But thanks to your fantastic damp flannel in the freezer technique, I've survived it. Well, we, we, we recommend this by virtue of our dear friend Karen De Silva, who teaches me many things. But I have to say, the damp flannel in the freezer is some of the best wisdom I've got to offer at the moment. That's been an absolute godsend, Fiona. <laughs> so before we get to this month's episode, Fee, I uh, just want to let our listeners know that um, our fantastic editor, Ben Hales, has co-written our show with his partner, Kerry Frampton, that is on at the Globe Theatre, Shakespeare's Globe. The show is called Midsummer Mechanicals. So it's kind of like a spin-off of from Midsummer Night's Dream, featuring the mechanicals. It's on from the 28th of July to the 21st of August in the Sam Wanamaker Playhouse. So I'm very, very excited to go and see what they've done. If you're in or around London and you've got family, it is a family show. It's suitable for ages five and upwards. You could do much worse than go along to the Sam Wanamaker Playhouse. Wonderful space as well. Yeah. And that's such a great idea. I love the... The idea of that show, it's kind of glorious, because I think when you see, um, well, when you see a good Midsummer Night's Dream with great mechanicals, you sort of always want more of that bit. Yeah. It was like, oh, can't they come on again? <laughs> ben and Kerry's company is called Splendid Productions. I've seen some of their work and it's absolutely brilliant. It's really funny. Oh. So, yeah. Oh, great. You're pretty much guaranteed a good time. Great. Top tip. Lovely. So, Michael, this episode is very exciting uh, for me to listen back and revisit this wonderful conversation and exciting for you because you weren't there, sadly. Um, It was myself and Roy McFarlane in the wonderful, back at the wonderful Birmingham Midland Institute. And yes, it was a really deep special wonderful coming together of voice and people and poetry so I really hope that everyone listening is going to enjoy it as much as I did in the moment and you'll be listening to myself and Roy McFarlane talking about Truth by Jean Binterbreeze the poem that's been a friend to Sue Okay, mm-hmm. my loves. Um, great, so should we read it first? Sure. Some years after, when the laughter came again, she grew her hair in locks around her head and lived simply without even a bed. But she, she had stories, that woman. She had stories to tell. 
and children who listened well. And she, she hid nothing, made no excuses for self. Just let truth give her voice to the wind. And she would sing sometimes, sing and ask a little more time for memory to swell their heads. The children gathered around her. The more they asked, the more words she was sent. Words that crossed all ages served no laws. Words that questioned all they had been taught. So they put her away one day. She must be mad, the adults say, corrupting young minds. It's obvious, deprived. She grew silent. Then her laughter grew thin. Then left with the wind. But the children grew up and remembered one woman who didn't lie. One woman who didn't hide. Now they count the hypocrites around them. Beautiful, thank you. So when did you first encounter this poem, Sue? Well, I went to the uh, reading, Jean Binterbury's, at what was the Library Theatre mm. in June, it says 23rd of June, 2011. Mm. Yeah, she signed the book. Mm. And um, that's when I first heard the poem. Yeah, something just resonated with me at that time, mm. and still does. Mm. We have to unpick that, mm. the resonate. What, what was resonated? that? Yeah. Well, first title, Truth, because what is truth? But then my interpretation or how I felt this, this piece, the truth was, or the truth is, the role of various peoples within the society, and in this case, a woman, and the role of the woman, the role of the mother, the role of the grandmother, and how it says at the very beginning, some years later, when the laughter came again. So for me, it implied that something had changed and she's found herself or mm. she's in her later years. And it says, and she grew her locks around her head and lived simply without a bed. So almost stepping away from where she was before, into a space that she's saying, well, this is me now. I am a who I am, and I'm going to live the way I want to live. I will share those thoughts, and who will listen will listen. So for many women, our lives can be like that. And society gears us to live and be in a particular way. And when you step outside of it, you are deemed as not right or mentally unwell or whatever it is, we need to be presented in a particular way. So the strength of this story, that's what resonates for me here. She said, you know what, I, okay, I allow that. You do what you have to do, I'm going to do it my way. Mm. Mm. I mean, it's such a great yes. way into a poem, yes. some years after. So you were like... Don't yeah, exactly. After what, 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 yeah. what? <laughs> it's like jumping into the middle of the yes, story. Yes. So brilliant. I, and I, the, yes. And it says, when the laughter came again. So 
maybe there was a period when there was no laughter. And well, now, Satan took away that laughter. Yes, and yeah. now she has found herself. And in growing her hair, locks symbolically as well. Mm. I'm not I'm sure when this was set, but within the culture, especially, I don't know, 30 years ago or so, having your hair natural wasn't the, the best thing. Mm. No, mm. you're stepping outside the norm. It's that literal physical manifestation of control, isn't it, that yes. she's talking about, and it's very intimate. Yes. What do you make of this, and lived simply without even a bed? Um, again, I think, I mean, it could be quite literal, just whatever her home or her setting could be, it's quite simple. Mm. But, you know, when we think of a bed, those are part of your, I suppose, human rights to be able to rest at night on something comfortable and clean. And for her, I think maybe in this piece, it's more about not having the usual niceties that she has left behind. But that wasn't a big thing for her because the next line says, but she, she had stories. Yeah, this is, this is the wealth, mm. who I am and what I've learned and gained. It's all here mm. and I'm ready to share it. Mm. And maybe even the, the stories kind of go away yes if we're occupied with these other things exactly exactly yeah and then the key that she's around children because they're the next generation mm -hmm. and she's sharing her wealth with these stories to those children mm. and it says and the children who listened well so they were interested like oh i love that line as well about a little more time for memory to swell their heads, heads yes She's implanting these stories mm. into their heads to take it all in. Mm. Because she knows the world that they're in. Mm. Mm. And they will go to school or they'll grow up in an environment where distraction is the main thing. Yeah. Or the kinds of education that you get will take you away from what you really need to know. Mm. So she can cram in mm. <laughs> as much mm. she can. Mm. And also to give a perspective as well, because if you're brought up in one environment and one perspective and you're closed down to hearing anything else, you know, then you follow the line. It's mm. just that. Mm. I'm intrigued looking at this and knowing you <laughs> as a storyteller, poet, collector of stories, mm -hmm. passing it on to the next generation. There you go. This echoes you, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, because my dad, oh, he told stories. So everything was a story. You know, if I was supposed to meet with my dad today and he was late, oh, he's going to tell me a story from the moment he got up. Well, you know, when we wake up this morning, you know, so I, it starts from there. <laughs> and you're like, yes, yeah, but dad, was it that the bus was late? Well, hold on a minute. Let me tell you, sir, I never make a cup of tea, you know, and I couldn't find it. So he's telling you. This is, <laughs> <laughs> so at the time, I suppose, when I was younger, it's like, oh, for goodness sake. I couldn't say, for goodness sake, but, <laughs> but it was just like that. The, the, the richness of that, mm. and especially that generation, storytelling you know, mm. um, and imparting their experiences and their knowledge and their doubts or their perceptions to the children or to someone who will listen mm. was important. Mm. It was important for me. 
and I loved the theatrics of it and the drama and the language in particular. But storytelling, the oral tradition, is so important. Mm. My dad didn't read or write either. He was a musician, uh, played many instruments, and so he communicated in very different ways, I guess. But as an oral tradition within the culture, storytelling is just right up there. Mm. Uh, and I think for some people, for some cultures, their presence is taken out of some stories. And it's just incidental. Yeah. So things are written and we read them. And you kind of have an idea because of the way we're taught. This is the story, beginning, middle, end, perhaps. Mm. But the makeup of it, the breath of the writer, the breath of the storyteller, sometimes we don't hear them. Mm. You know, and many of those stories are lost, which is why I like this, mm. because she's seated with the children and they're wanting to listen. And even if they don't understand, because as children, sometimes you don't understand. But again, it's the way the story's been told. Mm. Oh, you know, my dad will tell me stories about many things that he had experienced as a child. I may not visually have an idea of what they look like, but the way the story is told, an image, you know, you can almost grasp, you can almost touch it. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> and so he, this, this, your dad is definitely an influence in your <laughs> your journey to being yeah. a poet and yeah. a storyteller and that influence because without it you can't have that no. it's like it's not accessible to mm. you is Absolutely. it no. the first time I encountered poetry I was at school I'd moved to a new school in Stetford and um, I'd only been there maybe two days or something and we had an English we had English and the teacher she said oh, I'd like you to read this poem. And I was new in the school, and I'm so shy. I was so shy anyway. And it was one of those war poems. I couldn't read it, I didn't understand it. And she was very, um, she was like a, a grey cardboard cutout. Mm. There was just nothing. And she was not pleased. <laughs> no. Traumatised That's me. so, so, so you know? hard. And uh, I felt really bad for a long time. Mm. That was about 1970 or something like that. Um, 76, I'm starting to buy records or music and these are poets and music and they're speaking like my dad and uh. I'm like, yeah, I get this. Oh, this uh. is all right. And then in the 70s, I heard Linton Kwesi Johnson. Oh, oh my gosh, I was like, this is it, this is poetry. But I didn't write my first poem till I was 34 or something and never thought of myself, never thought of writing a poem or anything, and just literally one day I wrote a poem. But by then I understood the different forms and different styles and techniques and language and all this then. But the grounding that I didn't get that in school, I didn't understand that. These warp, and I get them now. Mm. That time, nothing. Mm. But isn't it incredible that the way that we, that somehow we find our own yeah. uh, source? Yeah. But the trauma of it at school, mm. no, I couldn't look at a poem or anything. Mm. And I still didn't write, I never thought of writing a poem or anything. And it was in 1994 or something. It was the jazz festival in Birmingham was on. And I was at home and I was thinking, oh, I love jazz. And I thought, oh, I love reggae. And I literally picked up a pen and wrote down the lines, my first poem. 
my brother-in-law came to the house and I said, look at this. He says, you wrote a poem. I went as red as a beetroot. <laughs> I said, no, it's not a poem. He says, well, yes, it is. I said, no, it isn't. I couldn't even own it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then a few, that was, that's how the journey started. And before I know it, I was, yeah. And then the following year, I'm in Germany in the Prime Minister's home to perform. And, and I'm on the Nile reading poetry to the <laughs> pyramids. Wow. Like wow. So you wrote that first poem and then you were off? In a way, yeah. yeah. I wrote the poem and then the following week, a leaflet came through the door that said um, a six-week creative writing poetry session or course or something in Newtown, black women. And I thought, well, it's a sign. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, shall I go along? And that's when I met my good friend, I call her mom, Elaine. And then I had an event and we had a bass player, upright bass player, and invited my dad. Ooh. Mm. Oh, yeah, my, his daughter had arrived. Yeah, he's a, that, that's my daughter up there. Oh. <laughs> so because of the bass, because my dad's a bass player, I was okay. a bass player. So he was just mm. poetry and jazz, mm. poetry and music. Mm. So when you saw Jean read this... Yes. I'm not sure if I saw... I can't recall... If she read, if this, she read one. this one at that time. Okay. This was the event. But, you know, I bought the book and... I'd seen Jean a number of times, and um, she signed this one. And at that time, she wasn't very well. Mm. I bought the book and got home, and I started to look through it. And this was one of the poems that stood out for me. Mm. Yeah. I love the way she writes. She brings it to the page. I suppose, in a way, in the way my dad does. Between each word, you know that there are other things going on. Mm. Yeah, in yeah. between the lines. In between the lines and the, the words. Yeah. yeah. And the way she spoke mm -hmm. and the way she, she would express through using the Jamaican language mm -hmm. and the English language. Mm -hmm. And she can sing as well. And mm -hmm. all the, the movement, the vibrations mm -hmm. of all of those mm -hmm. and what it creates. I love mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Yes. There's such a strength in this poem. It's mm -hmm. such a strong poem. It's actually quite sparse. Yes. You know, yes. it's interesting, isn't it? Yes. Because although we're saying all this about the storytelling and the memories and the... But in a way, she doesn't put that mm. in the poem. Mm. That's the yeah. experience that she's saying yeah. that happens. Yeah. But this poem itself is very pared mm. down mm -hmm. to the, the, the other story, which yeah. in a way is the story of her, which, of course, you know, is very dark as well. But I love that there are two references to wind yes. in here. And that's yes. the breath, the spirit, the... Yes. And even the form of on the page, because you have, you know, a couple of words per line and... A, yeah. And yeah. It's just amazing. And I think those are important things. Truth, give her voice to the wind. Yes. And I think this is what this is all it about. It is, yeah. It's not restricted, it's not held down. The wind carries it out there. Yeah. I says, yeah, that's fine. Mm. I will take hold of this. Mm. Yeah, they can't take this from you. You've, you've uttered it now. It's out there in the universe. And it will seep into the minds of those young ones who are listening. I was really interested also, maybe this connects with when the children gathered around her, the more they asked, mm -hmm. the more words she was sent. Yes, yes. So the spirit the universe 
her thoughts, her deep memories, they come out, they're there. Because what's, this, what's the saying? It says when, when the student is ready, the, is it the teacher appears or something. Oh, There's some yes. saying, a Ghanaian yeah. saying, oh, African saying. So these children were ready. Those ears were ready. Mm. So the mm. words came. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I love the way she says, words um, that cross all ages serve no laws. I love that. Mm. Yeah. Words that question all they had been taught. Look at what's happening right now. Mm. She said, this yeah, craziness and madness. Mm. And then some people will not acknowledge it, will not say anything against it. And then the, the verse. So they put her away one day. That could be the system, that could be the community, that could be whoever. And they say, she must be mad. She's a mad person. Because only a mad person would say crazy things like this mm. or go against the system. And adults say, she's corrupting young minds and they come down on her. Mm. And I love this. She grew silent. Then her laughter grew thin. Then left with the wind. And I, I, I look at that line and I look at the very beginning. It's almost full circle again. Yeah. yeah. She shut down. But her work has been completed. That's right. Because the treasure, the wealth of this, is in those last lines. But the children grew up and remembered. One woman who didn't lie. One woman who didn't hide. Now they count the hypocrites around them. I love that. Mm. <laughs> I love it. Mm. I love it. This is a source, isn't it, this poem, yes. for keeping with your truth yes. and keeping going. Yeah. It's amazing the way that she's kind of acknowledging in the ending both the trauma and the tragedy and the, the vileness mm -hmm. of what is done mm -hmm. and is also saying, but there's still a point to it because the children, the children. will take yes. it on. Yes. You know, that we don't end in total despair. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, we're, we're close to it. Yes. Mm. So there's nothing, she doesn't hide from any truth mm. in it, mm. you know. And if you look on a bigger picture from the perspective of um, Africans and Africans of the diaspora mm -hmm. and the traumas and experience we have come through, mm. the thing is at the end of the day, we're still here, mm. considering everything that's been mm. set and is still going on but we're still here mm. and remnants of who we are. It's just deep within us. But every time, what they say, where there's life, there is hope. Mm -hmm. And in this piece, although, yes, she's realized she come to the one side or the children are there. And, I, and she's saying, well, I did what I could. Mm -hmm. I gave them mm. what I could. And it is there. And it's them. there, yeah. Truth by Jean Binter Breeze. Some years after, when the laughter came again, she grew her hair in locks around her head and lived simply without even a bed. But she, she had stories. That woman, she had stories to tell and children who listened well. And she, she hid nothing, made no excuses for self, 
Just let truth give her voice to the wind. And she would sing sometimes, sing and ask a little more time for memory to swell their heads. The children gathered around her. The more they asked, the more words she was sent. Words that crossed all ages served no laws. Words that questioned all they had been taught. So they put her away one day. She must be mad, the adults say, corrupting young minds. It's obvious, depraved. She grew silent then. Her laughter grew thin, then left with the wind. But the children grew up and remembered one woman who didn't lie, one woman who didn't hide. Now they count the hypocrites around them. That was Roy with the gift reading at the end there. Our thanks to Sue Brown for coming in and giving us her time and sharing that poem with us in such a wonderful way and indeed for allowing us to share the conversation with all of you. Thanks also to Bloodaxe, who published Jean Binterbreeze's work. Do head to their website and seek out volumes of her poetry if you don't yet have them. What a great conversation, Faye. Yeah, just amazing, Michael. It was just one of those ones where so many things came together and I'm not sure... Sometimes when... Um, a poet comes in with a poem we feel that really strong connection not just with the poem as friend but with the poet as friend in a way that sense in which that other voice on the page and in performance you know has been a kind of an influencing light if you like and um, I really felt that kind of synergy um, between the poem and Sue as she was speaking about it and we will also direct people to Sue Brown's work a fantastic poet um, performer a documentary BBC documentary filmmaker really um, wonderful wonderful work and I'm sure people are going to want to seek that out so we'll put some direction towards that on the description page so just to add a little sidebar the fantastic Roy McFarlane that we've just been hearing there is going to be part of the opening ceremony for the Commonwealth Games that's happening in Birmingham on the 28th of July, Thursday the 28th of July. Roy is one of, I think, five poets and he's written a poem and will be performing it at the opening ceremony. Duran Duran are also headlining, so um, there's another excellent reason to tune in. <laughs> and um, I had the great pleasure of being alongside Roy just a couple of days ago at the Skylines Festival at the Belgrade Theatre in Coventry. It's part of the Skylines Literary Festival. And we had two guests. We did a live exchange. We had Rishi Dastadar and Ros Goddard, two fantastic poets. And we had a really 
brilliant time and a great conversation with some really fantastic poems. And we're going to be sharing that not next month because we're going to have a month off. We're going to take a little summer break, as we sometimes do. And then we'll come back with that special feature-length episode in September. I think that's all we've got time for. Just wishing everybody, uh, as we take this break, wishing everybody as easeful and as poetry-powered a rest of the summer as can be until we're back in September with more Poems as Friends. Thank you for listening. Thank you.